Good morning, Church of Cane Bay. It is a joy and an honor to have the opportunity to open God's Word with you today as we celebrate 10 years, as you saw in that video, 10 years of God's kindness and faithfulness to us as a church. As Charlie mentioned, my name is David Sons. I served as one of the pastors and elders here early on in the church's history, uh, back in the days of uh, meeting at the elementary school with a 6 a.m. call time and a moving truck named Charlotte. Uh, some of my favorite memories in ministry were made here with many of you, and it's great to be here today uh, to see uh, friends, old and new, some who have been here from the beginning, and some of you who have joined just along the way. Uh, I think it's important what we're doing here today. In some sense, it's important for us to remember what has been so that we can appropriately respond to what is. And my hope this morning is as we open God's Word and look back on God's past faithfulness, it will motivate us in the present and in the future. If you have your Bible this morning, I hope that you do, would you open it with me to the book of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And while you're turning there, uh, how many of you have uh, been to Disney World? How many of you have ever been to Disney World? Okay, all right, a few of you, a number of you. Uh, I love that. I, I went to Disney World. I did not really go to Disney World as a kid. My family didn't have Disney World money. We had Dollywood money. Uh, Y'all been to Y'all been to Dollywood? Anybody Dollywood? All right. Anybody been to Dollywood? All right, right on. Uh, if you've never been to Dollywood, just imagine that Cracker Barrel had an amusement park, and you kind of get the understanding of what Dollywood is. Um, but a couple months ago, my wife and I took our two oldest boys. We have three boys, seven, five, and two, and the two-year-old's not really ready to be unleashed on the world yet. Uh, so we have a, a seven- and five-year-old. My wife and I took them to Disney World uh, just for two days with friends. We were kind of going down there, and we were going to spend two days in the parks. And before we went, my wife and I just kind of had this discussion that we wanted this to be a memorable experience for our boys. And so we said, hey, our posture this week is just going to be to say yes to as much as we can so that they just have this incredible experience. And, and we did. I mean, we went in on the first day. We did Magic Kingdom on the first day. And, I mean, we got in as the gates opened and we did everything. I mean, we did Space Mountain, we did Splash Mountain, we did Thunder Mountain Road, a lot of mountains in Magic Kingdom. We did all of the, I mean, we did Magic, we did Cinderella's Castle. We were there all the day. We rode everything we could ride, left as the gates were closing. I mean, just had an incredible day. The second day, we went to Hollywood Studios, uh, which is where Star Wars land is. Any Star Wars fans in here? Okay. All right. Like four of you, so this is going to go great. Um, Star Wars land was incredible. Uh, like, I grew up loving Star Wars. My boys love Star Wars. And so we got to fly the Millennium Falcon. We got to ride the Rise of Resistance and then go to Toy Story Land and just do this incredible day. And so at the end of day two, we have done two full slam-packed days of Disney World. At the end of day two, we're leaving the park. We're on our way out. And my five-year-old says to me, Dad, can I get a Powerade? And I kind of looked at the concession stand there at Disney World, and I recognized that Powerades at Disney World are like $8, you know? And so I just said to him, I said, hey, buddy, how about we do this? How about we go to the car, we'll drive out, and I'll stop at a gas station on the way back to where we're staying, and I'll get you a Powerade. And my five-year-old looked at me dead in my face in the middle of Disney World and said, this is the worst day of my life. I didn't really know how to respond to that. Like, I didn't know what to say. I just looked at my wife. I was like, should we leave him here? Like, what should we do? Like, I don't know how to. Right? And, and if you have kids, you know that's kind of how it goes with kids, right? You just kind of have that. 
But really, as I was reflecting on that, isn't, isn't that the way that oftentimes we kind of treat the Lord's kindness? Isn't that the way that we oftentimes regard the Lord's grace and his goodness to us? That, man, when things are going good, it is like hashtag blessed. The, the Lord is good. Man, I love too blessed to be stressed. Brother, how are you today? All of these things. But then the minute something goes wrong, difficult circumstances arise, something doesn't go the way that we want, we immediately can turn into this sense of, the worst day of my life. In the Old Testament, specifically in the Old Testament regarding the people of Israel, one of the most common commands that the Lord gives to the people of Israel is to remember. 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 If you read specifically the first five books of the Bible, you'll see over and over the Lord commands his people to remember, to think back and remember who he is, what he has done, where they have been, and how far he has brought them. And I think the Lord is doing this for an important reason, as we'll see. And I think it's important for us to do the same. That we would set aside a specific time where we would recall the important realities of what God has done. And so why is it so important that we remember and for God's people to remember? Why is it important that we celebrate 10 years this morning? You see, it's because our memory and our recollection of who the Lord is of what he has done, that has a direct impact on our present and on our future. In the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the last book of what we know as the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They were written largely by Moses. And Deuteronomy really breaks down. It's a long book, but it really breaks down into three speeches. Three speeches that Moses gives to the people of Israel before his death on the edge of of the promised land. Now it's important for us to remember not only where the Israelites are, but where they have been. They have been rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They spent a year at the base of Mount Sinai where the Lord makes his covenant with them in the form of the Ten Commandments. And then for the next 40 years, because of their disobedience, they have been wandering the wilderness. But now, this new generation of Israelites, they have arrived at the edge of the promised land. And Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, addresses them with words of wisdom and with warning. He doesn't want them to make the same mistakes that their parents had made in disobedience to the Lord's command. And so in his first speech, in chapters 1 through 4 of the book of Deuteronomy, which we're going to look at this morning, Moses gives a history lesson of sorts. Moses wants to recount for the people where they have been and how the Lord has sustained them and brought them to the edge of the promised land. And I think Moses beginning with a history lesson is important. I think it communicates something to us this morning as the readers about the point of remembering. Winston Churchill once famously quipped, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And so why does Moses begin with history? Why does he call on the people to remember? And what can we learn from our own past that will help us in the present and in our future. So if you have your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 9 and read to verse 14. If you don't have a Bible this morning, the words will be on the screen behind me. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. This is what Moses says to the people. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children, 
and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. It was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded to you, you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land you are going over to possess. Pray with me. Father, we love you this morning and we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, today that as we celebrate, as we study your word, Father, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand and hearts to receive that which you have for us by your spirit through your word. Father, thank you for your past faithfulness. I pray that it will motivate us in the present and give us hope in the future. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. So as we study these verses this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 through 14, I want to use three questions. I want to ask three questions of the text that really I think will kind of guide us in our study. So here's the first question I want to ask of the text. First, what has the Lord done in the past? Moses begins by reminding the people what the Lord had done in the past. What is it that the Lord has done in the past? And I think we can take some time this morning to remember what is it the Lord has done in the past here at the church at Green Bay? Secondly, what should we do in the present? What has the Lord done in the past? What should we do in the present? There is a response to God's past faithfulness. What is it? And finally, what will the Lord do in the future? What has God done in the past? What should we do in the present? And what will the Lord do in the future? And I believe as we ask these three questions of the text, what we'll begin to see this morning is this, that God's past faithfulness is meant to lead us to a present obedience and a future hope. That God's past faithfulness is meant to lead us to a present obedience and a future hope. But let's begin here in verse 9, where we consider the Lord's past faithfulness. What has the Lord done in the past? Look at verse 9. Only take care, keep your soul diligently, unless you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Moses calls on the people to remember what the Lord has done for them in the past. Uh, how many of you are interested in, like, family tree? You've done any, like, genealogy studies on your own family? Okay, a uh, few of you. Um, I think it's pretty fascinating. Uh, a couple years ago, my mom really got into it with our family, and she studied back and kind of went, did all the research and found kind of generations back in our own family. And I remember she called me one day, and she was very excited. And she said, David, I just have to share this with you. I found a picture of your great, great grandfather, Charles Albert Riley. She started to talk to me about my great-great-grandfather who I never knew and what he had done. And she said, after months and months of research, I found one picture of him. And she was excited to show me this picture of my great-great-grandfather. And pictures are incredible. But I thought about that. I thought, this guy lived an entire life. And he only, there's only, and after months of research, we only found one picture of him. Like, that's amazing. Like, 
50 years from now, when people are telling the story, they'd be like, hey, do you want to see 100,000 pictures of my great-grandfather? He documented every day of his life. It's right here. But pictures are important, right? Because pictures give us a window back into the past, right? It's this visual that we have that it's a window back in time. And this is the idea behind Moses' command to the people to not forget where they've been or what's happened to them. He wants them to commit the things that they've experienced to their memory, to go back to them often, to remember what it is that the Lord has done for them. You see, the people of Israel had seen God's power. They'd seen His holiness, His kindness, and His faithfulness on display over these last 40 years. And Moses didn't want them to forget that. One of the things that I loved, we were here Friday night just kind of celebrating with uh, some of you, and watching the video that we saw and looking at the pictures out in the lobby. I was just moved again by remembering those experiences and those people and the faithfulness of the Lord. And it's humbling and it's helpful as we remember. But Moses doesn't just tell the people to remember. He gives them instructions on how to remember. Look at what he says next in verse 9. He says, Make them known to your children and your children's children how on that day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, and the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my word, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they might teach their children so. You see, Moses says that the people remember in two ways. The first way that the people remember God's faithfulness is by hearing the words of the Lord. You see, the people gathered at the base of Mount Sinai that they might hear the word of the Lord and hear again. Moses had gathered the people in Deuteronomy that they might hear the word of the Lord. And every single week as we gather together as a local church family, it's another opportunity for us to hear the word of the Lord and be reminded of who God is, of what he has done, and of why we worship. This is why for the believer, the weekly gathering ought to be a priority because we are so often prone to forget and so this weekly time together, when we come together, we are reminded of who God is, of what he has done in our lives. Moses says that part of the way that we remember is by hearing God's word. Secondly, the way that we remember is by sharing God's word with one another. Moses calls on the people to share the word of the Lord, not with themselves, but particularly with their children, with the next generation. This is the work of discipleship. One of the kind of key driving values of the church at Cane Bay from the beginning to today is the idea of discipleship, that we want to raise up a generation of men, women, and children who know and love the Lord. This reception and the transferral of the word of the Lord to one another, Moses says that when you hear the word of the Lord, receive it as such, obey it, and then teach it to others particularly to the next generation. And so this is why the Church of Cane Bay has missional communities. This is why we have student ministry and children's ministry and all of these other things that we're attempting to do. This is the heart of the Great Commission. Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the heart of the Great Commission, that we would hear the word of the Lord, receive it as such, Obey it and teach it to others. The Great Commission doesn't stop at conversion. It doesn't stop when someone puts their faith and hope and trust in Jesus for salvation. 
it continues through the process of discipleship. Teaching the gospel to those who have not heard that they might believe in Christ by faith for salvation and then follow him in obedience as their Lord. Which brings us to the point of remembering God's past faithfulness. Moses wants the people to remember what the Lord has done in the past, but he wants them to remember for a specific purpose. Look at what he says in verse 11. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. It was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Now, when Moses commands the people to remember, when the Lord commands the people to remember, why is he doing it? You know, nostalgia is kind of a powerful thing, right? Like if you go out, if you've been here for a number of years, you can go out, you can look at those pictures, you can watch that video, and you can be moved deeply. Like you can be moved emotionally by the power of nostalgia. And nostalgia is certainly a powerful thing. But the goal for the people of Israel in remembering God's past faithfulness was not nostalgia. It wasn't that they would just remember the good old days and that they would tell their kids how much better it was way back when, when mommy and daddy were doing X, Y, and Z. That's not the goal. You see, the point of remembering God's past faithfulness was to lead the people to a present belief and obedience. That's what Moses is attempting to do. He's not just calling them back to the good old days. For Israel, he wants them to see God's faithfulness to them in the past and to believe in his word and on his promise in the present, so much so that they will walk in obedience to his commands expressed in the Ten Commandments. This is the purpose of remembering God's past faithfulness, that the people would walk in present obedience. Now, in the last speech in Deuteronomy, Moses kind of gives warnings and wisdom. And he reminds the people in his very last speech, right before his death, he talks to them about the rewards that come in obeying God's commands and about the consequences that come in their disobedience. But if you kind of drill down into Moses' final speech, he doesn't have a lot of confidence that the people are going to listen. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Listen to what he says to the people. Deuteronomy 31, For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I am with you, for I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. This is not Moses the optimist here, right? This is Moses saying to the people, Listen, you're stubborn in rebellion now while I'm alive, I can only imagine what you're going to do when I'm dead. And this is a key point here about obedience. You see, Moses encourages the people to remember what they have seen and experienced and to use God's faithfulness in the past to inspire present obedience. But he says very clearly here in Deuteronomy 31 that try as they might, their attempts to obey will never be enough that they will always find themselves falling back into sin. That they will always need to repent. That they will always wander off after other gods. That they will consistently need a fresh anointing of God's grace and mercy. And Moses says clearly to the people that their salvation will not come in their observance or obedience 
to the Ten Commandments because they were incapable of obeying them. Now, an astute Israelite, an astute hearer of this word, might begin to ask the question, well, Moses, how can we be saved? If I can't come to salvation through obedience to the law, you're telling me that I can't obey God's law. How then might I be saved? And Moses had told them in a previous speech, in the second of his speeches of Deuteronomy, he'd given them a clue to their salvation, that salvation would not come to them by trying to obey the law. It would come to them in a different way. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, this is what Moses says to the people that the Lord had told to him. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says, one day the Lord will send another prophet, a prophet who is like me, who will operate as a mediator between God and people. And like Moses, he will teach them God's word, but unlike Moses, he will actually keep God's commandments perfectly. And it will be faith in this one, their belief and trust in this one who had come from God, who we now know is Jesus Christ, who perfectly keeps the law on their behalf. And it will be by their trust in Jesus, not in their own works, that they will find salvation. And so what's the point of obedience? Obedience, then, is not the means of their salvation, but obedience becomes the evidence of of their salvation. And this is true of us today, that our present obedience to the Word of God is the evidence of our salvation, not the means of it. And this is the good news of the gospel, that salvation comes to us by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ alone, apart from our own works. Where the law says do, the gospel says done. And many of you have come to faith over the last 10 years here under this good news of the gospel preached at the church at Cane Bay. And maybe you came to Cane Bay from another denomination that preached this kind of undue emphasis on salvation by works. And maybe you tried to find salvation in doing the right thing or being a good person. Or maybe some of you this morning are still trying to find peace with God by trying to be a good person and trying to do the right thing. But here's the good news. For you this morning. The good news is you can never be good enough. You say, well, how is that good news? It's good news because you don't have to. It's good news because we believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose so that our sin could be forgiven. That by faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from any works that I could do, God showed his love for us. And my obedience now to God's command is a response to, not a prerequisite for, my salvation. And this is the truth of the gospel, that when we could not get to God, God came to us. When we could not keep the law, He kept the law for us. When we were dead in our sin, He died in our place. When we needed a new start, He gave us new life. And this ultimate truth of the gospel should inspire in us a deep desire to follow. How do we follow him? Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so obedience to Jesus becomes evidence of our salvation. 
And Moses is saying the same thing, that God's past faithfulness to us in Christ is meant to lead us to obedience in the present. But it's not only that. It's not only meant to lead us to obedience in the present. Finally, it's meant to lead us to a future hope. Look at what Moses says in verse 14. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and rules that you might do them in the land you are going over to possess. Now, where the people of Israel are spiritually is important. But it's also important for us contextually to know where they are physically, geographically, to understand the teachings here in the Word. You see, the people at this time, when Moses gives this speech, are on the banks of the Jordan River. They're on the very edge of the Promised Land. When God had brought their fathers out of Egypt 40 years before, He had promised to their parents that He was bringing them to a land, to a place where they would live, where they would be free from slavery, free from oppression, and free to worship the Lord. And their wandering in the wilderness for the last 40 years had been a direct result of their disobedience to the Lord. But now, finally, they had arrived at the threshold of the promised land, this land that God had promised to them. But there was only one problem. You see, the problem was the land was occupied. It was not vacant. And it was occupied, as we'll see in the next book of the Bible, the book of Joshua, by hostile pagan armies who were not ready to give up their land. And so these hostile armies had to be defeated for the people to take possession of it. But notice what Moses says at the end of verse 14. Listen to how Moses phrases this. Moses says that he has taught them the word of the Lord so that they would obey it where? In the land you are going over to possess. This is interesting. Because it seems, at least to Moses, that the battle for the promised land has already been won. How can the battle have already been won before it has been fought? How can Moses be so confident in the future result? And it's because Moses has seen God's faithfulness in the past. And he remembers the work of the Lord before. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to watch documentaries. Any documentary fans in here? Um, one of my favorite things to do is just I love watching documentaries. And one of the documentaries I found a couple months ago on Netflix is called The Mind Explained. Anybody seen this? It's a documentary. It's like six or seven part documentary. It's all about the mind. And your mind is this fascinating thing. Uh, but the first episode is all about memory. And it talks about the way that the memory system of your brain works. And when we think about memory, at least I did, when I started to think about the memory system, the memory function of my brain, I always thought that the memory function of the brain was designed just to recall the past, just so that we could recall things that had happened before. But that's actually not what researchers have found. You see, these researchers uh, in brain development began to work with uh, people who had had a significant brain injury, people who had perhaps fallen or been in a motorcycle accident or they'd had some kind of brain injury that had damaged their temporal lobe. And the temporal lobe is the part of the brain that, rem that actually controls memory. And so many of these people had lost all of their long-term memory. They could remember certain things about certain things, but they could not recall things long-term in the past. And so these researchers began to, sit down, began to sit down with some of these folks who had lost their memory, and they began to ask them questions. And one of the startling things that they found is that across the board, with every one of these people, whose temporal lobe had been damaged and they had memory damage because of a head injury, 
Not only could they not recall the past, but when they asked them questions about the future, they really gave no thought to the future. They would ask things like, what are you going to do tomorrow? What do you hope for four or five years from now? And they would just kind of look at them blankly and say, I don't really think much about the future. In fact, one of the interviewees, when he was asked about what do you think about the future, says that he felt like the, 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 the researcher was asking him to find a chair in an empty room. It wasn't anything that they considered. And so what researchers began to determine about the human brain is that in the human brain, the future and the past are mysteriously linked in the human mind. The same network of the brain is engaged when people recall the past and when they imagine the future. And memories of the past and hopes for the future, they are linked together in the human mind. When I read this, I saw this, there was a, they used a quote from Lewis Carroll's uh, incredible book, Alice in Wonderland. And the, in Alice in Wonderland, the, que the queen of hearts quips that it's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards. And so what researchers began to find is that our memory actually works backwards and it works forwards. And so when the Lord commands the people repeatedly to remember, 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 he's not only reminding them of the past, but in fact, he's giving them hope for their future. And the same is true for us today. That as we remember the work that the Lord has done in these last 10 years, we are reminded of his faithfulness. We are stirred up, hopefully, to greater works of love and good deeds in the present. But we are also given a hope for the future. That day by day, piece by piece, person by person, God is redeeming and restoring all that was lost at the fall. And this past faithfulness is meant to give us future hope. And so that we see our present struggle and our present hardship in light of that eternal promise. And we are confident that we are known and loved by the God of the universe. That He has called us and saved us to a holy calling. And we are confident now because of His past faithfulness that He will not leave us on the banks of the Jordan, but He will one day lead us home into the promised land, the new Jerusalem. And we can be confident in this promise and reality because we have seen His work in our midst and we know that God's past faithfulness is meant to lead us to present obedience and give us the future. And so how do we apply truth of this text to our daily lives? How do we apply the truth of this text to the next 10 years of the history of the church at Cain Bay? And as I thought about this, I tried to think about specific ways that I wanted to apply this to you today, and I hope that we can see some direct implications and applications from the text this morning. But, but I want to just give you these three practical prayers in closing. These are things that I personally, as one of your previous pastors and elders, is praying specifically for your church and for my church that I pastor. These three prayers as a means of application for the church at Cane Bay in the next 10 years. The first thing that I'm praying is simply this. I'm praying that the Lord would grace you with a photographic memory of his past faithfulness. 
that God would grace you with a photographic memory of his past faithfulness, that you would be able to easily recall all that the Lord has done. That when we are tempted in a present circumstance to doubt the Lord's kindness and his love for us, he would recall immediately for us the moments of his past kindness and faithfulness. And we can be confident in his care and his love and his concern. I'm praying secondly that the Lord would grow you in your obedience to the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment and the great commission are inseparable in the scriptures. The great commandment we find in Matthew chapter 22 and the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment in the scripture? And Jesus gives him two. He says the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says the great commandment is to love God with all that we are and all that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But then in Matthew 28, Jesus gives the Great Commission. We talked about that just a moment ago. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching and obey all that I've commanded you. And listen, the Great Commission flows directly from the Great Commandment. You can't have the Great Commission without the Great Commandment. And you won't fulfill the Great Commission apart from the Great Commandment. So my prayer is that church at Cane Bay will grow in your love to the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you will grow in your love for your neighbor as yourself. But as you do, you will make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that Jesus taught. Finally, praying that the Lord would give you an unshakable confidence in his promises as you follow him in the future. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And my prayer is that when we are tempted to doubt the presence or the power of God in our present circumstance, we would be reminded of the coming of Jesus. That we would be reminded that Jesus came, took on flesh, lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we should have died, rose to defeat enemies that we could never defeat. And that even today, he rules and reigns and waits until the Father sends him to come again. The purpose of Jesus' first coming was to secure the victory of his second coming. And we are confident that as we sit here today, we are one day and one hour and one minute closer to his return. Revelation chapter 22, the Bible ends this way. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. But until that day, for the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, if the Lord tarries. My prayer for the church at Cane Bay is that you would be found to give faithful witness to the testimony of our Lord in your present obedience and your future hope for God's glory, for your joy, and for others' good. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for this reminder of your goodness and your kindness and your faithfulness in your word. And Father, I pray that in all that is done here this morning, in all that is celebrated, the name that will be above every name will be the name of Jesus. For it is in Jesus alone that we have salvation, that we have life, that all of this is not for nothing. And so Father, I pray 
over this church. Thankful for the folks who have invested so much of their lives into the mission of the church at Cane Bay. And really, ultimately, it's not the mission of the church at Cane Bay. It's your mission. The mission that you've given us by your grace, by your goodness to us. So, Father, I pray that for the next 10 years or 20 years, God, that you would help the church at Cane Bay to be a church that loves Jesus, loves people, is on mission for your glory. Thank you for this time to celebrate. Pray, Father, now as we sing that our words would honor and exalt the one who is worthy of all of our worship, Jesus Christ. In his name we ask all these things.